Hi, this is Sarah O'Connell. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome back to another edition of Radio Rotary. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People applying Rotary's motto of service above self. And today our special guest is Dr. Peter Goffman, and we'll be talking about our environment. Very important subject, and and what are we talking about? Where, where are you, the Dr. Peter? Where, tell so us I, about that. So I work at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York. And uh, the Cary Institute is a private nonprofit research institute. We do basic research about environmental um, science. Um, and uh, it's basic research, but it's, it's related to a lot of practical environmental problems. And we like, to, we like to think that we do the science behind environmental solutions. So you're a scientist. I am a research scientist. I have a Ph.D. in ecology. Uh, and I, I do research on ecosystem ecology with a focus on soils. I do lots of research in soils, and in particular, on the microorganisms that live in soil. And he they, gets to play in the dirt. I do, How I exciting to, is that? Yeah. Are there worms involved? Yes, I do quite a bit of work on earthworms. Uh, one of our one of our uh, areas of research is on uh, earthworms, and and uh, and many people don't know this, but the earthworms in this area are all invasive, exotic species. There are no native species of earthworms in this part of the country. So, do we have any idea where they came from? Yeah, They're not they came, natives. No, they came from Europe, and they came from Asia. So, th- so we have no indigenous worms. We don't. The idea is that the glaciers, uh, which covered this area about fifteen thousand years ago, glaciers killed the earthworms. And uh, they've been very slow to recolonize. And what's happened is uh, human activities have introduced these um, species from Europe a long time ago. The European species have been here for hundreds of years. But much more recently have been these Asian uh, species that have been uh, been introduced. And they're causing uh, important changes in our forests. Well, uh, our, now different worms have different jobs in the environment, correct? Uh, jobs in the environment is kind of... Certainly, certainly earthworms go about their business and they do interesting uh, things. They call they, that a niche. Yeah, an ecological niche. Look at him throwing fifty dollar words what around. Was that, what was that twelve syllable <laughs> word you used? <laughs> I was just making sure you're paying attention. I am but, paying attention. <laughs> but it's it's interesting. Uh, the, the general consensus that earthworms are up to no good uh, in our forests, and they may not even be doing much good in our gardens as well. It's been an interesting. What do you mean? Are you saying they do or they don't? They don't. They're not up to much good. Oh, I always thought that they were good, that they churned the, the dirt in a garden. They were gardener's friend. Right. So that, that's the general perception. And, and earthworms, uh, certainly they speed up the cycling of nutrients and the decomposition of organic matter. Well, I thought that that was a gardener's dream then. Well, gardeners do lots of... The, 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 the cycling of nutrients is already fast enough. Oh. In gardens, so we add lots of nutrients. So to they're our interrupting gardens. whatever would take place. Well, when a we speed bit. things up, we oftentimes ex- speed up the losses. So nutrient cycling, especially in forests, is this very slow, gradual process, almost mm-hmm. like the slow food movement. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about doing things slowly and doing things efficiently, and that's how mo- that's how our, how our natural ecosystems work. I'd like to worm my way in and ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Peter Groffman of the Cary Institute. Uh, tell us, what is the Cary Institute, by the way? Right. So Cary Institute is, uh, is, is, as I said, it's a private, nonprofit, basic research institute. Uh, our funding comes from, uh, we have a, an endowment. Mary Flagler Cary uh, was a, a great philanthropist, lived in the Hudson Valley. She owned a large piece of property in Millbrook. And when she passed away, she set up a, a trust to... Um, uh, establish a uh, some type of research institute on that land, uh, and then the the, uh, the there are funds that support about half of our program. So we have about a ten million so dollar program. You're a nonprofit. Nonprofit. And is the facility open to the public? It is. Uh, we have a really great network of um, 
hiking trails. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're having a, a, a large open public program called EcoFest. Uh, that's on Sunday, May 23rd. That is open to the public. Mm-hmm. And we have a website, carryinstitute.org. Why don't you repeat that? carryinstitute.org. That's C-A-R-Y, institute.org. We have hiking trails. We have this great, great program. And uh, so the, good it's website. really the facility's really grown since I moved to the Hudson Valley years ago. It, the, the facility's grown and the program has grown. The, I'm meaning the programs. I, I mean, we have, yeah. I mean, you don't want to brag the on the radio, but, oh, right but we are really one of the premier ecological uh, research institutes in the world. Uh, we have a very we have about we have sixteen permanent staff. These are PhD level scientists, and we have a total staff of about one hundred and fifty people. Uh, we have uh, postdoctoral researchers. We have uh, technicians. We have a ground staff. We have a support staff, and we. Um, and it's it's uh, science is a very competitive process. So so we have some endowment uh, that supports part of our program, uh, but most of our res- all of our research is funded by competitive grants from okay. federal agencies. So Dr. Peter Groffman of um, the Cary Institute, with all these scientists, how many are on staff again? Just say that. Number. Well, there are sixteen permanent okay. staff S- scientists. I'm talking right. besides worms. Um, I'm kidding. Besides dirt or earth, um, what are the other fields that these scientists? Are researching. Yeah. Well, none of them are as important as dirt, but other people <laughs> or worms. <laughs> so, so we have a, a, a few areas of real expertise. Uh, Hudson River. So, our group has been working uh, studying the Hudson River uh, since the eighties. They predicted and quantified and studied the zebra mussel invasion of the Hudson River. Um, we have lots of work on a, a relatively new field called the ecology of infectious disease uh, with a focus on Lyme disease really? and other tick-borne uh-huh. diseases. Um, lots of expertise in forest ecology, uh, both forests in this region but also th- uh, forests throughout the world. Uh, lakes, lots of expertise on lake uh, ecology. And what uh, do you do with this information? Well, so basic science, and that's, that's um, you know, we like to consider that we do the science behind environmental solutions. So, but we do science. And so in, in science, we, uh, we collect data and we write uh, papers. We publish papers uh, in scientific journals that are... Um, that go to... Who you send it off to? These you send it off to scientific journals, and, and they, they get send it off to reviewers. Okay, so they get peer reviewed, and there's the scientific literature, and and scientists are great at communicating amongst themselves, uh, but it, the communications, the 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 flow of information from science to society to decision making is 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 much more challenging. That's for what us. I'm trying to get at. Right. How how do we take this information, and how does it affect us? Because we're uh, in our environment. Right. Directly today, our everyday person. Right. So we have uh, a, a commitment to work that interface between science and society. But it's difficult for us to do because it's really not what we get paid to do. We get paid to do basic scientific research. But all of us uh, at the Institute, we work on uh, on local, state, regional, national, and international commissions uh, that, that are working at doing science translation. So I was, was in, uh, involved in the Intergovernmental Program on Climate Change, which is the international group that's, that's determining is the climate changing uh, what are the impacts likely to be, and what are we supposed to do about now you're, it? Now, you're addressing a very important issue to the layperson, because right now, probably the two biggest environmental issues, and when we talk about the environment, of course, we're talking about the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the ground we uh, grow our food the in. The dirt right? we grow our food in. The two biggest issues right now to the lay public, the big oil spill down in the Gulf, which, uh, as we tape this show, is, is still uh, spilling out. They think maybe as mentioned 100,000 gallons that. 100,000 barrels. Well, I don't even want to go into what the Gulf Stream is going to do with right. all that. And also, 
global warming, climate change, which some people think is a myth, and some people think it could, you know, really have a, a severe problems for mankind. Dr. Peter Groffman of the Cary Institute, let me put you on the spot. Tell us about global warming. Myth or reality? Uh, global warming is a, is a reality, and there's actually almost no scientific debate about global warming. Is it occurring? Uh, it is clearly occurring. There's a strong scientific consensus that global warming is occurring, uh, and it's a problem, and we should do something about it. And what's causing it? What's causing global uh, yeah, it's warming? It's caused by the emissions of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. In particular, we burn fossil fuels. We dig up oil, uh, and uh, which used to be carbon dioxide in the atmosphere millions and millions of years ago. We dig it up. Uh, we burn it, and we've added tremendous amounts of carbon dioxide into so the atmosphere. So we're like the worms of the air. Very much so. <laughs> That's an excellent analogy. We are speeding things up uh, and, and to, um, to, to no good end. This oil spill in the, uh, in the Gulf is, is, is horrible almost beyond description. Uh, it is a vast it's amount very, of oil. very, upsetting. Uh, there are these huge plumes of oil underneath the water in the Gulf, and, uh, and it's a huge disaster. And I hope we don't waste the opportunity. I mean... You know, talk about oil, uh, fossil fuels. Um, uh, people don't seem to realize that the amount of oil is limited, whether it's ne- we have 50-year supply or 500-year supply. At some point, we're going to run out because oil is manufactured from squished dead dinosaurs and, right. and the plants that were around them. Aren't, it wasn't. I mean, it's not something that's being recreated now. Right. We Hence will, the term fossil fuel. Yeah. We will run out of oil, but there's a lot of fossil fuel on the planet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of coal. I mean, there's a lot of coal. There's oil in places like the tar sands. There are fossil fuels in places like the Marcellus Shale. And so if we really want to keep burning fossil fuels, we'll be able and to do it. And be worms for the rest of our lives. For, <laughs> for a long time. And if we burn all the fossil fuels on the planet, it's going to be real, real hot. Now, Dr. Goffman, um, you said, I hope we don't miss this opportunity. With this disaster, c- maybe we can go back to that in the next segment, talk about what the opportunity. Let's try and... B- uh, pull something positive out of this I disaster. Okay. But let me remind our listeners they're in tune with Radio Rotary right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. My name is Jonah Trebowasser. My co-host is the effervescent Sarah O'Connell, despite her obsession with worms. <laughs> and our guest is a uh, very special guest, Dr. Peter Groffman of the Cary Institute. We're talking about your environment, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the ground we live on. And Miss Sarah, tell us, who brings us Radio Rotary this week? Radio Rotary is brought to us by Rotary District 7210 and the Rotary Clubs of Arlington, Blooming Grove, Washingtonville, Carmel, Chester, Chestnut Ridge, Congers Valley Cottage, Fishkill, Highland, Hyde Park, Kingston, Kingston Sunrise, and LaGrange. And we're back. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, on our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary... We believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary. Humanity in motion. For information about Rotary in the Hudson Valley, visit www.rotarydistrict7210.org. What would you do if a friend, coworker, or a loved one collapsed? Calling 911 alone will not be enough. Over 1,000 people a day die from sudden cardiac arrest. Many can be saved with early intervention. HealthSave offers CPR courses on a daily basis at our facility in Rockland County. We'll come to your home or business if you prefer. Call us toll-free at 877-277-6233. That's 877-277-6233. Or visit our website website at healthsave.com. That's 
H-E-A-L-T-H-S-A-V.com. Leave the E off of save for emergencies. CPR training is for everyone. Learn CPR. Become a lifesaver. Hi, I'm Sarah O'Connell. Welcome back to this edition of Radio Rotary. I am joined by my co-host, Jonah Trebwasser, and our very special guest, Dr. Peter Goffman from the Cary Institute. And we are here talking about our environment. And that is a very broad topic. And in the last segment, we got into some great detail um, about how it affects us as everyday people. And then we touched on this disaster of the oil spill on the Gulf Coast. And the other end of it, the global warming caused by the burning of uh, a lot of oil. Uh, and uh, Dr. Groffman, isn't it true that even though in North America we only have 5% of the population, we use 25% of the oil produced every day? Uh, we do. And, uh, I mean, the global warming problem and the problem in the Gulf are all caused by our insatiable appetite it's all for related. energy. It's all it is, yes. and we, and 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 so if we really wanted to do something about it, we need to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, uh, and we need to reduce the profligate way that we use energy. Now I'm going to ask this question again. You said, I hope we can take advantage of this opportunity from this disaster that has just happened. Can you explain what you meant by that? Right. I think we need to wake up and realize that we need to use less energy, and we need, in, in particular, to use less fossil-based energy. We have this incredible demand for oil, and that causes us to drill for oil in places that are problematic. So if, if you're collecting oil from, from a desert well, it's relatively easy to do, and it's inexpensive, and it's relatively safe. But suddenly we find ourselves... Uh, with oil wells 5,000 feet below the surface of the Gulf of Mexico, it's very risky, uh, and, and you can see what happens when you take big risks. You have environmental disasters. We have, uh, in, unless we can control our appetite for oil, we're going to be extracting natural gas from the Marcellus Shale thousands of feet below the surface of, of central New York uh, and many other risky places. Lots of off, we don't want to be drilling offshore for offshore oil because it's risky. You take the risks and you get environmental disasters. Well, just to be devil's advocate for a second, uh, Dr. Peter Groffman of the Cary Institute, um, our economy is based on oil, our transportation is based on oil, and, you know, we have some electric cars being uh, produced. We see some windmills up, but when can we realistic get get off of our addiction to oil? So we could start right now with energy efficiency. So it is to me is one of the great lost opportunities of the last forty years uh, has been that we have not made everything that we use. 10 times more energy efficient. So if our cars got 100 miles per gallon, and if our refrigerators used 10 times less energy than they did now, and our air conditioners, and all the, our energy, just just simple energy efficiency, there'd be money in our pockets, and there'd be a whole lot less carbon dioxide. But is that scientifically air. possible today, a 100 mile an hour, 100 mile per gallon car, I should say? It certainly is. So we passed the first uh, automobile uh, mileage standards back in the 70s. We set it at 27, and then we didn't change it for almost 35 or 40 no years. Wow. And if we had been ratcheting it up 5%, 10% a year, we would certainly... We uh, probably wouldn't have SUVs. We might have SUVs, but we would have SUVs that got 100 miles per gallon, and that would be fine with me. I can't even imagine that. Well, it, Those it, so, big tanks. You're talking to a beetle bug owner. Right. That's my last <laughs> new, new car is a bug, and one of the reasons, you know, I'm trying to be... As green, try right. to live my life and do the right thing as I can. And they, uh, when people ask me how, how many miles does that car get? I kiddingly say a hundred miles a gallon. It, and it would, it would. So, so it's a lot. And 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 so uh, if we had been much more uh, dedicated to energy efficiency, we would be consuming much less energy now. 
And of and course, there's, there's, we can do that now. There's the political issue: the fact that a lot of our oil is imported, and it's imported from places that don't like us. That and, and uh, another reason to move away from from fossil fo- from fossil fuels because uh, we are sending money to people that, um, that 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 don't like us. It's a very strong. It's a very strong case. Even though, if we, you know, let's say we decided to to, to to use only homegrown fossil fuels, mm-hmm. so it would be a lot of coal mining. This mountaintop coal mining removal, which is has horrible impacts, it would be things like the Marcella Shale, which are problematic. It would be offshore drilling or underground coal mining, which is very deadly. We've and we've had a lot of ma- d- mine disasters where the poor mining families have uh, deaths in their family. So we need to move away from fossil fuels. We need mm-hmm. to use less energy, and we need to use more renewable energy. Uh, and this is a great challenge for our time. And, and, and it's, it's a, hopefully we'll use it as a positive challenge to stimulate technology, to stimulate innovation, um, uh, and, and to stimulate... Wake-up call. You're yeah, talking. And, 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 and so how's it going to happen uh, is, is, is a political process. We have a, a... Well, as individuals, we can make our own Yeah, what impact. can people at home it's, do? It people starts out right with now. us. Yeah. What, can, what can our listeners do right today? So they certainly can uh, use less energy. So buy more efficient efficient appliances, buy more efficient cars, uh, live in a smaller house. Yes, you can lose less energy. But how does that happen? Uh, it happened. So people started carpooling, and our Dutchess County loop buses were filled with people when the get price of gasoline got over right. $4 a gallon. Right. And so the current legislation moving through Congress, this Kerry Lieberman bill, calls for a carbon tax, or a price, at least a price on carbon. And, um, and people's behavior changed very dramatically. Uh, when the price of energy got high, suddenly people were sitting in the dark, well, freezing, effect- and walking to work because uh, energy was really it's really affecting expensive. their pocketbooks. But but putting all that aside, as individuals, I think we all have a responsibility to make conscious to- choices to make the world around us uh, our immediate our immediate but environment. Sarah, dear, money talks, and I think I know where Peter's going. He's saying yeah. when the price of gasoline was heading to three and almost four dollars a gallon, people's behavior changed. Right, and then what happened? The price dipped, down, and it all went and, out the window. And then everybody went back to their old habits. Yeah. And there's also the question, where did all that money go when the price of energy was $4? It went overseas uh, to people that perhaps don't uh, have best wishes in, uh, for, for Americans. And, so, and so, so, again, if there was a carbon market, as called for in this new legislation, uh, perhaps there, were, there, would, there would be more rational pricing of carbon, uh, and, and the money would stay in America, and we could use it to... Um, to help people to meet their their legitimate energy needs and and to discourage uh, inefficient energy. What kind this of innovations? Been, I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead, sorry. Sarah, I was going to say this has been really really fascinating, and there is so much more to the Cary Institute. And as a member of the Millbrook Rotary Club, and I have some fellow Rotarians that probably uh, work with you for you, including one of our favorites, Heather Malcolm. How, Heather Malcolm, um, Matt Anderson. Yep, he's nodding. He's nodding to, for our radio audience. Well, and I wanted audience, to say some nice things th- about the local Rotary Club. They, right we well, we wanted to talk. We wanted to segue into the Interact program, which is our high school Rotarian initiative. Um, and Millbrook sponsors a, a very active Interact. Uh, interact club and you are an interact parent i understand right so i have three children and my youngest child is just about to graduate from high school and they've all been involved in interact and we have interact clubs uh we have a a junior interact club in our junior high school and then we have the senior interact club uh and they i i think the great thing about rotary does a couple of things in our town to get uh kids to think uh, beyond themselves and beyond the, the you know we live in a small town and and the interact which which gets kids to think about um, people that are less fortunate than they are and get them actively and once they do it 
uh, at a young age, you hope that it's going to build these habits that they'll always continue to do it. And the other thing uh, that's great with Rotary is the exchange program. So we live in a very small town, and uh, due to Rotary exchange programs, we've had some really great kids come into our town from other countries. Uh, and Which are sponsored by Rotary clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we exchange them, and the, each each per, each. Uh, student that goes t- into the program is sponsored specifically by a club. And so suddenly we have uh, some kids that have really kind of broadened the scope in the cu- of the culture in, in our schools and, and for our kids. And it's, it's just, it's just, well, it sounds like we need to have a, a, a research show. environmental scientist in a, in the local rotary club there. You know, you go Another come one. for lunch. Yeah. They'd love it. Oh, I have come for lunch. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, I've definitely come for lunch. <laughs> and my kids have gone for lunch, which is again, another great part of Interact. Is the kids uh, come to lunch and then they get to see, they get to see how adults in the business world act. Yeah. They get to see how adults interested in improving the world act, and and that's an important example. Well, Dr. Peter Grothman of the Cary Institute. In a couple minutes, we have left. Let's talk about some of the innovations you and your colleagues are coming up with. Uh, let's talk about the possibility of shifting from an oil-based economy to, uh, for example, windmills, electric cars. Um, photovoltaic cells, what kind of progress, without letting go of the uh, you know, super secret patents, what kind of progress can we look forward to in the future? Well, so now we are not an engineering or a technology-oriented firm. Uh, in terms of sustainable energy, there's a lot of interest in biofuels. So can we grow uh, biofuels? And, and we've done quite a bit uh, of work Explain what that. biofuel is. Okay, so the idea is we can, grow, um, we can grow corn and we can convert that corn into ethanol. We're starting to hear more about that. Right. It works well um, uh, when we're making corn whiskey or bourbon. It's the same process. It's ethanol, and ethanol can can be burned. Unless the worms get involved because they're part – they were really destructive (laughs) to the corn crop. Well, there are many problems problems with biofuels. Uh, that we're trying to work out. So mm-hmm. there are several sources we can grow corn and convert it to ethanol. Perhaps we can um, we we can perhaps we can grow f- we can use wood energy. We can grow f- we can cut down trees and, and and use those. And there are there are electrical generating plants based on wood where people can heat with wood. The ecological question is so that we have a, in our area uh, in the whole northeastern U.S. There's lots of trees, many mm-hmm. more trees than there used to be a hundred years ago. Um, if we started to really intensively manage these forests uh, to extract energy. What effects would it have on the other values of the forest that we have? Clean air, clean water, wildlife, aesthetic uh, parameters. This is a huge ecological question that we're addressing at the Cary Institute. And for those answers, they can probably go to the Cary Institute website, which again is what? CaryInstitute.org. And it sounds like a fascinating place with fascinating programs. And Dr. Peter Groffman, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Rotary. And thanks for having me. And Ms. Sarah O'Connell, who brought us Radio Rotary with Dr. Groffman today. We are brought to you by Rotary District 7210 and the clubs of Millbrook, Newburgh, New Paltz, New Windsor, Cornwall, North Rockland, Pleasant Valley, Port Jervis, Poughkeepsie, Red Hook, Rhinebeck, and Southern Ulster. For Sarah O'Connell, this is Jonah Trebois. thanking you for tuning in and inviting you to join us again next Friday morning at 9 for another edition of Radio Rotary right here on Hudson Valley Talk Radio. The Blooming Grove Washingtonville Rotary Club invites you to their annual golf outing at Stonyport Golf Course on June 7th. Registration begins at 8 a.m. with tee off at 9. Continental breakfast, 18 holes of championship golf, a delicious gourmet lunch, and lots of prizes. All for just $120. Sponsorships are also available starting at $100. Proceeds support clean water projects around the world. For more information, contact Scott Green at 845-496-3631, 845 
1-800-496-3631. Four! Hudson Valley Rotarians invite you to help us help those whose homes were destroyed in the earthquakes in Chile and Haiti by contributing to Rotary's Shelter Box program. Each Rotary Shelter Box has a durable tent, water purification, and cooking supplies for 10 people. Go to shelterboxusa.org for more information or to donate. That's shelterboxusa.org. 